Hey everybody, this is Kim Blackwell and Louis Extravaganza and this is Work, Work, the podcast. Voices for the voices that go unheard. Today, who do we got, Kim? We have Manny Rodriguez, aka Manny Extravaganza. Yes, it's been an extravaganza, extravaganza yes. on well, this Manny, podcast. Yes, Manny, right? It has been kind of this <laughs> extravaganza thing going on. We're not being partial to extravaganzas, but maybe. I mean, rightly so. Manny Rodriguez has been special to both of us. Yeah, born, our sister, honey. Yes, born in New Jersey, was the son of a preacher. A Pentecostal preacher and came from a family of like seven brothers and sisters. Oh, no, it's more than that. Seven brothers and three sisters. Look at that. Eleven. (laughs) Eleven. That's eleven, y'all. We're going to get into that. Yes. We're definitely going to dive into that because I have one and I'm like, Jesus, Lord, help me. Jesus be a nanny. (laughs) Manny was also a a career dancer and has mm-hmm. danced with the likes of Paul Taylor mm-hmm. and uh and Valley my Hispanic favorite of New York. Yes, and Val Hispanic of New York, which I was yeah, also yeah. a student at, which is right. amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the receipts, but, honey. We have receipts. Yes. We have receipts. But Manny has taken this beautiful journey from dancer to now the CEO and founder of La Fuente Recovery Center. Uh-huh. So we want to get into all that and really dive into how you even came to be this icon of the recovery community. Okay. (laughs) So you were born in Patterson, New Jersey. That's right. Were your parents both from Puerto Rico? They were. Okay. You're first generation. I'm a first generation Puerto Rican. Okay. And so you are one of 11 children. I'm the 10th in that lineup. You're the 10th. Yep. So you were like baby. I was next to the baby. You were next to the baby. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that like growing up in a house full of so many kids? Well, and with Pentecostal parents, I mean, that's Oh, yeah, we'll get into that, too. Absolutely. Your dad was a a preacher. Did he have his own church? Yes. So um, to answer the first part, like, like, what was it? It's fine. Like, (laughs) what what was it like to grow up in that household? I think that when you're a kid and... You're experiencing your life in whatever way, whether you're an only child or three or five or 11. Uh, I don't think that you have a reference point about anything else except what the experience is at the moment. Being the child of, of a Pentecostal minister uh, came with a lot of challenges just simply because we couldn't always do the things that other kids did. We were Puerto Rican, but we weren't Catholic. Uh, we weren't raised like dancing salsa music. We weren't sort of the the Puerto Rican family that waved the Puerto Rican flag around a lot. Uh, and Why not that, that we weren't proud of being Puerto Rican. It was just that I experienced, you know, growing up as a Puerto Rican kid. You guys um, were different. It was different, but it was also very similar, like the language and the food and um, the holidays and family, for sure. Right. Wait, but um, did you celebrate holidays? Yes. Yes, we did celebrate holidays. However, it wasn't paranda. Mm-hmm. Like, my family didn't do parandas. Like, because my parents didn't drink. Uh, they were, you know, basically fundamentalists, I guess you could say, in some ways. So Christmas really was never about Santa Claus. Christmas was about the birth of Christ. Easter was never about the Easter bunny. It was about the resurrection. Right. So, you know, I mean, it was it was it was interesting. And I always wanted the Easter bunny at church. Uh, <laughs> and I always wanted Santa Claus. And I always wanted reindeers. So uh, I kind of had to like have that experience on my own um, while I was living at home. But well, I guess my question is how did you discover dance? Because you think you always think kids who ended up being creative kids were you a creative kid were you watching you know movies and some people say well it was i saw the sound of right i saw the you know i don't i always liked to dance i always liked music but it was limited for us right because we didn't my it was it was not permitted like we you guys couldn't dance no we secular music anything that was secular was completely not permitted uh but and so 
as a kid, the thing that I loved about my dad's church, especially the Pentecostal church, is that it was loud and there was music and drums and organs and singers and uh, and I loved that part of it. Right. It was just so joyful. The disconnect was like you're going to go to hell, right? <laughs> yeah. That you part. Were, Enjoy it, this now, right? If, right. Yeah, so there was hell. there were a lot of mixed messages. So yes. you know, like women didn't wear lipstick. They didn't wear makeup. They couldn't wear pants. It was. It was super repressed. Wow. And the way that I came across dance was a very good friend of mine, a childhood friend of mine. I think I was still in the eighth grade. So I started dancing late, too. He said, I'm going to an audition for um, like a theater experimental after school thing. And um, he said, come with me. So I went with him. And the director was someone that I knew, and he had been a boyfriend of my oldest brother. Uh, yeah, I have a gay brother. I have two gay brothers, as you both know. Yes. The younger one, Nicholas, is a year younger than I am, and my brother, Augustine, who is nine years older than I am, and my sister, Idita, who's a year older than I am, and she's a lesbian. Anyway, <laughs> so so we go to this audition, and I know the guy who is the, the person who is, is running this audition, and I don't know if I just put my name on the list or if when he saw me, he said, why don't you audition? Uh, and so it was sort of like mirror, like you would mirror someone. And there were, then they taught you this really sort of basic combination. Um, and I got in and my friend didn't get in. Well, it, just, it wasn't that he didn't get in. He got into, put into the workshop group. Uh, and then... Uh, Somehow I encouraged my younger brother, Nikki, to come the next day to the second audition. And he got put into the workshop portion of what we were doing. And that's really how that started. I was introduced to dance by way of like mime and theater. Um, wow. So how are you getting away with this with your parents? Yeah, that was what I'm... You oh, okay, okay. Okay, so that's interesting. Okay, so... Right, right. Yeah, well, so, he needed exactly. an accomplice. Okay, so yeah, that you know what? That's a really interesting... And, and you know, I, I get a little confused with sort of like um, the timeline. So we both joined this after-school program. And my father is not having it. I'm sure. At all. I remember there was kind of a blow up at, at my house. My father was like, absolutely not, da, da, da. My older sister, Nilda, she intervened and she said to my father, what is so wrong with this? It's after school. Their time is occupied. They're not doing anything wrong. We know where they are. Why wouldn't you just allow that? And he, it's not like, I don't think he said yes, but he walked away. Right. He's like, you know what? I'm tired. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. So he walked away. I just can't. He walked away. And um, the thing I know about my father, you know, with, with, with the time that's passed, is that I've wa I, I, I was able to witness sort of like his evolution. But what did your mom say at that point? You know, my mom said whatever my father said. Okay. That's really how it went. Right. right. So you're in. The, you get into this dance program, right, right, this right. theater program. Keep me on track, please. Yes. No. And what? <laughs> Even so though we love. What are you your... learning? What is the? You know, a lot of what we were doing was movement. It was really just movement. It was uh, mime, and it was movement. It was kind of dancing, but there were there wasn't really any structural or formal teaching. Say like jazz or tap or ballet so was this all though leading towards like doing a show or yeah okay. we were we were we were a performance little company we were okay. the, and we we would do these performances and uh during my sophomore year at, 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 at in high school we even went to puerto rico with this little group and then eventually i got kicked out of this group why uh <laughs> just because i was you know i don't know it was rebellious uh, yeah, I just think I was, you know, I think I was just like 14 or 15 years old and it was actually the best thing that happened because then I really was determined. I said, well, you know, well, I'll just go to a local dance school right there. My brother continued to stay 
in this in this company. And at that when I was leaving is when they really introduced a dance program. Like they brought in a ballet teacher and a modern dance teacher. And so the program be started really becoming so my brother Nikki really received a lot of his formative training at the Inner City Ensemble. That's what it was called. And I went to Miss School of Paulette. Uh, Paulette School of Dancing. Yes, Paulette. Uh, and it was great. And I was like the only person who she taught sometimes. And so what are you learning there? I was doing ballet. Ballet. I was okay. only doing ballet because that was one of the first things that my brother Gus told me. He's like, if you want to be a dancer, make sure that you really start studying classical because all the rest of it will come to you. And so you're 15 when you first start studying ballet. Yes. Which is extraordinary because, spoiler, you ended up at Juilliard. Right. So, but what happened was when I was studying with Miss Paulette, who I loved, love, 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 love still, and I'm so glad that she's on Facebook, uh, she changed my life. This woman absolutely changed my life. Probably after, I don't know, a year of studying with her, she said, I've got to get you to a different school. She said, I've got to move you on. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, I want to take you to the School of the Garden State Ballet. And I want you to audition for a scholarship. Are you feeling at that point that this is what you want to do with your life? That you want to be Yes, at this point. Well, actually, I wasn't 100% sure. I just knew that I'd love to dance and, and I, 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 I just felt at home in a studio, right? I just, Wait, but did you have something... I mean, you said you didn't feel sure. Did you have something else that you were also no? There was there was nothing else. Uh, So the thing that I left out was my brother Gus took my brother Nikki and I to see a chorus line on the bus from New York City back home. That I sat there and I was completely in a daze over what I had just experienced. I know, huh? These this bare stage with these stories that just told the. The, the, you know, the, 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 where people just, you know, I don't know. It was just, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it right now. I'm not articulating it very well. Uh, and so that's when I had the conversation with my brother and I, you know, I said, God, I'm like, I kind of stopped thinking about a chorus line and oh my God. And, it, and, and at this point I was already taking class. He says, well, Manny, if you want to be a dancer, there's no time to waste. You are, you are already behind. So if you want to do this, you got to do this now. And so I wasn't sure that I wanted to to choose dancing as a profession, but I knew that I had to get busy. And so therefore, I started taking class and I started really considering it as a possibility. I go to study with Miss Paulette. Miss Paulette takes me to at the School of the Garden State Ballet. But it, it changed the course of my life. And then there, uh, they had a small dance ensemble called the, the Nord Dance Theater, where I met Alfred Gallman, Kind Franks. Along came, you know, William Vasquez, who had been in the Inner City Ensemble, and Will um, Andre Tyson, who had been in the Inner City Ensemble, who went on to dance for Alvin Ailey, and Pamela Peterkin, who we just lost. Was it this year? Yeah, so Pamela Peterkin, who was the reason why I went to Miss Paulette. Wow. So How anyway, long are you here at this? At this so point? I was there. My I would say it was the end of my sophomore year, my junior year, and my senior year. No, that's wrong. My junior year, my senior year, and then I took a year off after high school because I auditioned for NY. I missed the audition for Juilliard. So um, I um, I auditioned for NYU, and they. They told me to come back in September because I wasn't strong enough classically. So I decided that I would just wait another year and audition for Juilliard. Were so, you taking classes during that year? Yeah. So what I did for a, for a period of time was I worked at Pisaic, I, I worked a, a day job at the community college um, doing AV stuff. And then I would take a bus and go to class in the afternoon uh, and then I left that job and I went to work at UPS loading trucks from about 11 to four in the morning. And then I would sleep um, and then I'd go to class. Wow. Yeah. For that, for that year that I waited for the audition and then that audition was in March and my brother and I both auditioned. We auditioned, auditioned on different days. And so I never saw him the day of his audition and he never saw me the day of my audition 
Uh, and then what's the <clears throat> what's audition for Juilliard like? What do you do? What are you doing? Do they give you a combination to do? Yeah, so you do three things when you audition at Juilliard. You do I think it's like a thirty minute modern dance class. So it's very general. So they'll probably mix all techniques of say Lamone, uh, Graham, and maybe some Taylor in there. And then you do a half hour ballet class. So they'll do like maybe a 20 minute bar where you, you, you're at the bar, you do your plies, tendus, all the stuff. And then you come to the center of the floor and maybe you'll do, you know, port de bras movements, adagio across the floor, et cetera. Then you do your piece. Wow. And so you have a choreographed piece. I have a choreographed piece. I danced to Donny Hathaway's Little Ghetto Boy. Yes. That was choreographed by Alfred Gallman. I loved it. Yeah, it was great. So, yeah, that's kind of how that happened. And then I think in June or July. Wait, did Nikki get into... We Julia. both got our letters of acceptance. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. It was, yeah. So it was, it was, it was, um, were your parents proud? Little Puerto Rican kid yeah. from Patterson, New Jersey, <laughs> took his first ballet class at 15, gets into Juilliard. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> what did your family feel about that? I think that my family didn't understand. I think that my siblings knew that it was, a good accomplishment. Like it was something that we had both um, accomplished. And I think that they were proud of it. I don't think my parents really understood what Juilliard was. Right. I don't think that uh, they, they, they just didn't really know, well, what is the Juilliard school? I mean, even you probably at the time growing up didn't know anything about Juilliard. I'm going to be honest with you. I knew that Juilliard produced, you know, great dancers, actors. I had no idea what the curriculum was like. I just thought, I'm going to go there and I'm going to dance all day and I'm going to graduate and I'm going to be fabulous and I'm going to get a job on Broadway. And I'd, the reality Because I'd read is. the playbill, I'd read all the bios in the playbill and everybody, not everyone, but a lot of people went to the Juilliard school. Right. So I thought, well, I need to go there. Uh, <laughs> I love it. So uh, you get into Juilliard. What is the day-to-day actually like? Yeah. What's a typical day? Okay, the typical day. So the typical day is you have a 9 o'clock class, whether it's ballet or modern, and then you have an academic class, and then whether that's, you know, history of Western civilization or music 101, um, then you do another, like, a modern class, you have a break, then you have, say, you know, composition. Then you have a break, Uh, And you may have nothing for the rest of the day. Or if you're preparing for spring concert, then you're going to rehearse, right? Because the great thing about being at Juilliard, too, was is that we got to work with really great choreographers. Like, I got to work with Alvin Ailey. I got to do Paul Taylor's work. I got to do some – did I do Lamone? I don't think so. I got to do some Anthony Tudor. Like, that was the thing. There was access. There was a lot of access. But it was also – challenging you know because my brother Nikki and I we had no resources really like we we had to scramble to get our especially our first year because we didn't even have a partial scholarship at that point so we had to scramble on how we were going to come up with tuition right okay so we were always sort of like we were operating from a place of, I don't want to say crisis because I don't think that when you're that age, you understand that, but it was like, okay, how do we stay here? I remember when we, um, first, I think it was right during admissions, they called us in and they were like, Oh, we, we want to know how you're going to pay for this. And and (laughs) we had no idea that we had to pay. Right. (laughs) This this is how insane, you know, right. I mean, this is how insane, right. No, but, but but maybe at this time we had already figured out that we were both each going to get a student loan. Right. Okay. And so, but we were short like $1,600 each. And this is 1980. I mean, that's, Imagine $1,600 for somebody who's 18 and 19 years old and you don't have a family that you're going to go to and say, hey, by the way, can you please write the Juilliard School a check? Were you working also at at the time? No, no, because you're in school all day. That's what I'm wondering. I'm like, how could you possibly? um, But it all worked out and we, we managed to stay there our first year. We both excelled in the program. The next year, we were given a partial scholarship 
they figured out how to get us involved in work study. And is the scholarship like need based? Is it financially based? No, or it's or not. It's 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 really merit based. Well, yeah, it's merit based okay. more than anything else. There were lots of people with lots of money there who uh, had full scholarships. Right. So, mm-hmm. but you know. Yeah, but you know, in retrospect, what I really understood sort of about our experience there too is that we were extremely sheltered, right? Because you go in, I mean, if your class is at nine, you're at school by say seven thirty eight to make sure you have something to eat, you're gonna warm up. If you're rehearsing, like if you're in a if you're actually gonna be in, in repertory for the spring concert or even workshops that we would always do from, you know, during during the course of the year. You're in, you were you could be in school for ten to twelve hours oh, in yeah. one day. So it's like a real conservatory, yeah, situation. Yeah. Right. So we we would we are we were extremely sheltered. In I that. mean, it was like that when I went to LaGuardia High School, and that was and you know LaGuardia is a public and is a public school. So, right. I mean, even it was you know academics in the day, and then the rest of the afternoon was dance, and right. then even when school let out, we went directly to Alvinelli and continued classes and dancing right until like right. 10 o'clock right? yeah so it's crazy um and i'm so grateful for that as well because there you know you can get in a lot of trouble in new york when you're that young oh because let's talk about new york that was 1980 so new york was on and popping right yeah right and you were where's where's juilliard located where's on 66th and broadway, broadway okay yeah. So you, I mean, yes. So tell us about the word, you know, as far as extracurricular activities, <laughs> where are you living now? Are you still at home? Are you? Well, you know, my friend, our, our freshman year, uh, my brother, Nikki was still living with my parents. Okay. And so he commuted. I was living in Newark. Um, I, you know, was living, I was renting a room, okay. uh, with these really cool guys. They were, one was a stage manager for the show one more time at the time. The other one was a director. He had directed um, something on Broadway. And the other one was a music teacher. And they were probably twice my age. And so it was such a great um, house to live in because they were really encouraging. So our first year, we both commuted. And then after my first year, I, w- I was studying at the Joffrey School. I got a scholarship for the summer. And Miss Daddario, I'll never forget her name. She knew I was, we were trying to find an apartment in the city and I was in between classes and she came out and she pulled me in and she gave me this paper and she said, this guy came in, there's an apartment on 29th and 10th Avenue. He needs to find somebody to take over this lease. And the, it was $375. Oh my God. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, it's it, and this building is literally right next to what is now the High Line. Amazing, right? But back then it was hookers, rats, and truckers. Yep, right. and it was two blocks away from the Sound Factory, one of my favorite places. <laughs> and so that's where my brother Nikki and I we spent those the the our our sophomore through senior year, um, we lived there, and then we we continued to live there for a long time, but it was magic. Because literally, we would leave our apartment, we would run to 10th Avenue, we'd get on the M11, and it oh would God. drop us off. Right. You remember, Lewis? That because, was the bus I took to school. I mean, because my school was right. Because right you would come yours. across town, and then you would come up. Right. So we would take the M11, it would drop us off right on 66th Street. Um, so while it was challenging and, and, and rough, sometimes, you know, sort of like emotionally, there were some things that sort of like fell in place for myself and my brother Nikki so that we could navigate that experience. And having my brother at Juilliard with me and to be my roommate uh, was was so amazing. What an amazing story. Yeah. But you so here you are, these two kids uh-huh. from Patterson, New Jersey, and really sheltered, like you said. Right. You, you weren't even listening to the secular music. Right. So y'all now are unleashed yeah. in New York City. Right. But with this very rigorous, you know, demanding yeah. schedule yeah. at Juilliard. Right. So what's happening when you're not at Juilliard? Well, you know, in full disclosure, you know, and, and some of you know that, but I don't know if the people listening to this one all that. So I've been sober 26 years. Right. 
my addictions really started to manifest in a way that they started to affect my your work my work yeah. and so drinking or you it was drinking okay. it was yeah it was it was primarily drinking i mean there was again there's you know there wasn't really money for drugs uh and and the drinking age was 18 back then by the way yep so my sophomore year at our close you know where you do your juries they asked me to leave Juilliard. Wow. No. Really? Yes. So, and it was completely out of left field. It wasn't like they gave me a warning at the middle of the year or anything. It was just like, I... Were did, you just, feeling it though? Were you feeling yourself slipping or not being able to... No. 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 Wow. I mean, I just, you know, I just thought I was, I just was doing what I do and, 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 and it wasn't like, like mid-year someone they? said to me, hey, listen... <laughs> You know what's going on with you? Like you're not coming to class, or you smell like alcohol sometimes, or oh. so. When I sat there, I was just so you know, like the rug really was pulled oh, yeah. from underneath yeah. my yeah. feet. Blindsided, and I, 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 I just like really it was one of those times where I felt like the whole world crashed on me, and um, and I was, um, I was able to be vulnerable in a way that. The dean of the school, Martha Hill, um, at the end of it, said, "Okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna give you a second chance." Woo! Yeah. And uh, <laughs> okay, hallelujah. Can I just tell you guys, just me and Kim, just at the edge of our seat, right now, that was like, in unison. Yeah, there were. There, I, I would say that the faculty overall was very um, on board with this decision, with with the exception of one person. But yeah, so but I, you know, but I managed to graduate, and uh, my senior year, both my, my brother Nikki and I, um, we started working at Ballet Hispanico of New York, which was a big deal at school because they want you to get a job. So I'm at Ballet Hispanico of New York. And I'm extremely unhappy. And it's what type of is it? Mod, is it a modern dance company? Yes. Okay. And with a but with but, a Spanish flamenco, you know, through line to it. Feel, yeah. Yeah. feel, right. and, and again, flamenco company. yeah. And again, you know, I think that what I was experiencing at that time was a lot of insecurity. Um, my addictions were really sort of again. They 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 really. They kind of tainted, you know, they created a, a reality that probably wasn't real. And so I could never really like get my footing just simply because I was always nursing a hangover probably. Yeah, but it's, you became post, you became a poster boy. for Right. Well, I always, you know, that I mean, that's that was the thing, you know, I had a look so I could I, that was the thing I had going, you know, I could I could work that. But after, you know, but. But that wasn't going to get me on the stage. You know, that wasn't going to get me a lot of time on stage. Um, <laughs> however, I became very unhappy at Ballet Hispanico. And I was auditioning for the Red Shoes. And I got cut. And this was at the Minskoff building. And I ran, in, and I was, and I, I, I ran into my friend Robin, Tasha Ford, who I went to Juilliard with. Oh, and my she, God. Do you know Robin? Oh, my God. Okay, so, yes. so I ran Tasha into Robin Ford. Tasha Ford. So and she said to me, oh, my God, they're auditioning for this show down the hall that's going to Vegas. I had no idea what this show was. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, let me go down there. And I went down the hall, and I got a number. I put it on, and I walked in. I learned this combination. I left, and that night they called me up, and they said, do you want to go to Vegas to do this show? And I said, yes. What's the show? <laughs> Right? <laughs> What's the show? And so they told yeah. me it's an evening at Lacage. Wow. So I still didn't really know what I knew what the Broadway show Lacage was, but I didn't really know what an evening at Lacage was. And they said, Oh, and you'll have to be in drag in the first number. And I said, Okay, that's fine. And so I left Ballet Hispanic. I gave them a two week notice. And I remember Tina Ramirez. The artistic director at Ballet Hispanico of New York, who I absolutely adore, 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 and who I have so much respect for. Oh yeah, she ruled that. With yeah, and best. and you know, for for a woman, for a Latina, yes, of that time to do what she did and to leave the mark that she's left, 
you know, it's just, it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. It's you know, I, when I think about her, it just, it, it makes me feel good and it makes me also just very emotional. But I do remember this one moment because I never thought she liked me. And this sort of like put the nail, you know, in the coffin for me. She's, she comes in in front of everyone. She says, well, good luck with your modeling career. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was Tina, though. In Vegas. And, <laughs> and, you know, and it's so funny because I was so checked out, but I didn't really understand what she meant. But what she was, you know, because in Vegas, nobody really dances according to what you see on the stage. So I went there uh, and I stayed for 11 months and I came back and I really didn't know what I was going to do. And I got back to New York City and my friend Kenny Bowman was the one who said to me, you know, Manny, I think you'd be a really good tailor dancer. And it had never occurred to me to even consider Paul Taylor. Now, tell us who Paul Taylor is. For okay, so Paul Taylor was, he's, his company still exists, but I would say that he was, or he is, um, I don't know if it's was or is, well, he, his work still lives. I would say he was one of the four great modern dance choreographers of the 20th century, straight right to, to where we are now. And um, he came out of the Martha Graham Company, formed his own company in the early 60s, and went on to become, you know, probably one of the, the, the greatest modern dance choreographers that we've ever known. And I had never considered the Taylor Company. But you were familiar with his work. Uh, yeah, I had done Esplanade at Juilliard, right. and I had learned Oriole. Uh, which um, is two yeah, amazing Yeah, pieces. two amazing pieces by him. But I had never seen myself as a Taylor dancer it just and then when I finally saw the company and I saw the body types, I was like, "Oh!" So I did a workshop first, and um, and then I wrote Paul a letter saying that you know I would like to come back to the workshop, but that I didn't really have the finances to do it. So uh, I did something for him and at the studio, and I did another <laughs> workshop, and then. I became an apprentice and then and then he hired people and didn't hire me because usually you're an apprentice and then they hire you. Right, and so yeah. I got passed over and then I waited some more and then I got into the company uh, eventually. And so I was there, I say a total of almost three years. After Paul Taylor, you danced with somebody else because I... Right. So, um, so Paul Taylor, so Paul fires me. Why did uh, he fire you? Uh, you know, according to him... I love it, according to him. According to him, I wasn't keeping up. I exit um, Paul Taylor. And as you know, Stage it's left. a very small community, especially for the dance world in yes. New York. And so it's not like, you know, I'm going to walk over and Twyla Tharp is going to hire me. Right. Or Alvin Ailey or Merce Cunningham. I mean, they're very specific works. They're very specific repertories, very specific yeah. body types. Um, but I was at a dinner with this guy that I knew through an ex-boyfriend, they were now boyfriends, and he was leaving a job that uh, was with a woman named Regine Chopinot, and the job was between Paris and La Rochelle. And, you know, he was like, well, what are you doing? And I was like, oh my God, I'm trying to find a job. I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll go back to school and be a physical therapist. I don't know. He's like, would you like to work in France? And I was like, well, I was actually thinking of Italy, but I'm going to go to Europe, you know? And he was like, you know, Manny, there's, if you want a job in Europe, he said, I could probably help you get this job. And somehow this guy was able to sell me without ever with without this woman ever sight seen, unseen sight unseen that's the word i was looking for yes. and wow and so there you know so i i went away and you know and i think in february of that year i left in february of 89 or 90 because i was in paris for almost two years uh and so off i went to work in france and right before that that's when our paths started yes to okay cross. so yeah so um I remember. I remember the first time I, I, like, I had seen you. I had seen you, and I really was introduced to to the extravaganza family first through Alan Ford. You remember Alan Ford? Yes. Okay, who I loved. <laughs> Love. Uh, such a great guy. He was. And and then through Eddie, Eddie X. 
you know, I was kind of like an oddball in some ways to a lot of them just simply because while I was Puerto Rican and while I lived in New York City, I was, I don't know, I, some of them, you know, what Danny told me one time, he said, you're the only plastic one I like. And I remember <laughs> it was like, I didn't really understand what that meant. Well, the thing, the thing was, listen, I mean, for me and Jose, we related more because we right. had the same background. We were coming from a technical dance background. Right. And even though me and Jose were more, quote unquote, street right. than Manny was, because, you know, of course, Manny was this, you know, Paul Taylor dancer. So he wasn't as, you know, quote unquote, street. You know, so that I think that's what he yeah. meant because and we I, hung, you know, and we and ran. I, didn't, the I never knew that, you know, I never understood the difference, right? Because I related right. to all of you because I felt like I grew up like so many of you. Like I grew up probably in the same kind of household in many ways, right? The same food, the same language, all that. Absolutely. But I remember distinctly one night, Junior Vasquez had this very small party, and I think it was at Arriba Arriba. Do you remember this? All the extravaganzas were there. You know. All of them. And in with Manny. No, no. <laughs> in comes Lewis. So I'm standing there, and I think I had seen all of you like voguing from time to time, but I distinctly remember. You and Jose coming out to dance. And I remember you doing a double attitude turn and doing something. And I was like, oh, my God, this kid is, like, talented. It was the first time I noticed you. And I, because I had seen you, but I had never noticed you. And and I had never really noticed how talented Jose was. And it was at this moment. Well, first of all, it was 10 o'clock at night and not 4 in the morning. Correct. Right. At the sound factory. And it was lit. Uh, in terms of the lighting, not like like millennial lit. Um, <laughs> and it was the first time where I said, wow, these, these two are really, really talented. I think that what happened next was maybe somehow I showed up and I walked at the a house of Fields Ball. Which was, which was definitely, you know, a moment in that whole night. You know, he walks in... <laughs> half naked with these gold wings and this headdress and he does this dance and to firebird to it was Stravinsky's firebird which was completely for that right because nobody dances to firebird there right um. i mean everybody <laughs> stopped i mean he just brought the whole ball to a complete stop because at this point you know the balls in harlem are like you know, right. it was a, 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 yeah, diff, but dip, but different, you right? Know, like, right. So he brought this air of I don't know, yeah. next level. You know, like this it's was like culture. Piece, yeah, it was like right? a classical yeah. culture yeah. moment that everybody was like, wait, what? And yeah. he just brought the house. Down. And that's when I think I got to meet everybody more, right? And that's kind of like where I got to like. Say really like I think that's kind of like when they let me in a little bit more, right. and I wasn't so much of a like who is that or he's you know and and again I was I was like I I had to be to, to rehearsal the next morning okay <laughs> and I didn't go on till like ten o'clock at night it was like this ball started at four yeah it was right because these balls go on and on and it's like pose is like two minutes long or something honey trust me that's not as quick as it goes <laughs> no um then I think. The second time we kind of worked together was when we did the Palladium with Edie and you oh. and Jose came out and vogued with her. And I think right after that was when you guys auditioned for Madonna yeah. and then you went on to start rehearsing for the tour. Right. And then at that point I was moving to, to Paris. I was moving to Paris. Right. So that's how um, our, our paths cross. And so you're in Paris for two years mm -hmm. and then you... Shortly after that is when we met. Right. You yes. met me right after. So I, that first year when I was back in New York is when I met you. Yes. You had come out right. for New Year's Eve. Right. We were visiting. Right. And then, oh, and so we should talk about your history for it because you and Eddie knew each other as kids. Yes. Yeah. So Eddie and I grew up in the same hometown and my older sister, because she was 10 years older than I, uh, than I am, she 
used to hang out with Eddie's parents. And they used to, you know, go to parties. And... But Eddie's, Eddie wasn't Pentecostal. No, 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 no. No. And so, but I, I didn't really know Eddie. Um, and then I think when I was like maybe 14, 15 years old, I would see Eddie in Patterson, like downtown or here or there. And then all of a sudden everyone would say, oh my God, you remind me of this guy named Eddie. And we both had the same glasses and we were both really skinny. I was like, the hell is this Eddie guy? And then they would say the same thing to Eddie. Oh my God, you remind me of this guy named Manny. As soon as Eddie and I connected, though, it was like off to the races. Because uh, I said to him, no, he said to me, what are you doing tonight or something? I said, oh, honey, I'm going to Better Days in New York. He said, what's Better Days? I said, oh, it's this fierce gay dance club. He said, oh my God, I've never been to one of those. Wow. Eddie was just graduating from high school, or I was just graduating from high school, and I took him to Better Days. Oh, and that, and that's, and there you have that's it. That's all that she wrote, and that's right? all she wrote, honey. <laughs> that's all you. Uh, and, and if you, I mean, the better end of innocence. And yeah. Better Days was that experience. I mean, it was just. Did you ever go to Better Days? Oh my God, yes. It was. You'd walk, and it was like boom, 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 boom. It was so incredible. And who's I, DJing at Better Days? T. Scott was the DJ when really? I was there at the time. But I went to Better Days when I was on my 16th birthday. Mm -hmm. Oswald Peterson and Joseph Quijano took me. And I uh, took a brown like eyeliner pencil and I drew a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I drew so... a mustache and looked down while they paid. Like I kind of hid behind them and they just kind of like shuffled me in. Yeah, it was a oh different time God, too. I mean, because so the drinking age was 18. Right. So, um, or maybe he had gone up by then. Because no it went idea. to 19, and then it went to 20, and then it went to 21. They did it in this increment. Um, and meanwhile, if you were 16, you probably looked like you were 12. Right, you know, that little right. baby face. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'm telling you, I had to draw a goatee <laughs> on my face. So you and Eddie, that's the connection. for So Eddie moves out to L.A. Uh-huh. You come to visit. Uh-huh. Eddie's like, I'm doing a nightclub. Right. Come on, Manny. And you I don't, packed you know, it up and, and moved and, to LA. Yeah, okay, because, I mean, well, how much time do we have? And so Eddie was like, he was going to do this club. He was going to do this club. And I just got in it. I got in between it. And I said, I said, we are doing this club. Okay. Uh, and, and, and Manny. Like, uh, yeah, and, so, and, and it was great. You know, and Eddie was like, okay, come on, let's do this. And I remember... Uh, he wanted to do this at the Masonic Temple, which is now where Jimmy Kimmel does his show. Yes. And that fell apart, fell apart, fell apart. And then we landed in the back room of the Spice. Do you remember that, Kim? Of course. Oh, my God. Yes. Well, we just, oh, you tell we me. Just, I remember the first week we had maybe 70 people. Yes. By the third or fourth week, I remember us having almost 600 people come through there. Do you remember that? Well, yeah. Well, when it, I, it took a minute. People were like, I don't know what this is. I don't right. know what this music is. And then we found our tribe. Well, we know. stuck to, there was something that was, that was very important to us. And that was going to be that Eric Puyo was going to be the DJ. And the sound system was and, incredible. Right. And that was the other thing. We were clear that Eric was going to be the DJ and that we were going to have a kick-ass sound system. Because that's what Eddie and I knew. Yeah. You know, it was about the we, music. we had we had, you know, danced at the garage many, many nights and we had danced a sound factory many, many nights. And we knew that without great sound, there was nothing. Uh, and so we stuck to that. And, and we, didn't, you know, we were in the red for a long time. But I think that when people came, they responded because no one was really doing that here yet. Eddie's vision really was the thing that uh, built the success of, of what Temple really was and then straight into Pump right. at the El Rey Theater. Well, now let's we, go back talk about Temple, and this is the time when you also got sober. Right. That Exactly. So at this point, you know, we're doing Temple. It starts September of, two, uh, September of 1992. That was the first party. It was right around Eddie's birthday. And in August of 1993, I get sober, uh, which was tricky because I didn't know that I could continue to work in, in, in the club. And I was uh, at the time working with a really uh, an incredible therapist. 
And she really helped me work through that. She was like, I said, look, I need to quit my job. And she said, and do what? Right. She said, and exactly how are you going to make money? Um, and so we had a plan. She was like, look, we have to really create a plan of safety. You go in, you don't have to stay there all night. You make sure it gets open. And so there was a real plan. Uh, and it was great to really have someone who guide me on that. And it was really like, and as soon as you feel unsafe, you have to leave. And what I, triggered that, you know, the switch where you said, no, you know, I got to stop. I got to get some. Uh, I think that for a long time, I, I, I had been wanting to get, I, I didn't know it was sober. I didn't even know really what that meant. I know there were people close to us that were trying to do that and were struggling in some ways. How but did you balance newfound sobriety with Temple, Pump, yeah. Eddie, the club? I, you know, I, I, I was just happy to wake up and not feel, you know, completely dehydrated or wondering what I said the night before or, um, uh, worrying about like whether or not um, I'm going to land in the hospital with a new mycistic yeah. pneumonia, yeah. et cetera. Um, but I think the thing that was was one of the things that saved me was I was really interested in meditating. And I think that was the thing that changed a lot of stuff for me, even before I really got involved like in a 12-step program and, and, and did what we do there. Uh, I, I really was determined to figure out how I could learn how to sit still for 20 minutes and change the course of my life. That's awesome because I can really relate to the power of meditation in my recovery as well. So moving forward, you are a dancer. Then you become a club promoter, which is really successful. And then you have a short stint in real estate. And then you have this epiphany. This idea comes to you. Tell us about that. This idea came to me about opening a sober living. Now, where did that inspiration come from? Well, you know, what really happened was is that I, I helped somebody else buy a house. Okay. And they were doing a sober living. Was that Chris? No, no. Chris became my, my business partner. It was Ruben Garcia. And, um, but it wasn't, there was a, there, there was still this real need. There were no sober livings. And so... I bought this house and I managed to get it refinanced and we built two more apartments in the back. Don't ask me how that happened. <laughs> I knew nothing about any of this except that I just followed my instincts. And so I'm selling real estate. I'm doing the sober living. The sober living is doing really well. And I started spending more time at the sober living. And then in one day, it just it just kind of dawned on me, like, Manny, your heart is really here. Right. It's not really selling houses. And then the next thing um, I know, I, I'm looking for a consultant to help me license the sober living so that we can become a treatment program. I knew nothing about treatment. I hadn't gone to treatment. But there were enough people around me that encouraged me to do it and said, we will we will help you. We will stick by you. Um, and I did it with like two pennies. I mean, in the big scheme of things, like what I if I told you what my budget is now to run a treatment center and we're not a big treatment center. It's insane. If I had known that I would have never, ever, ever done this. But sometimes it's just better not to know. About four years ago, I made the decision to really dedicate all of our time, energy and resources into becoming LGBTQ specific treatment program. In the beginning, it was just for men. It correct? was just, yeah, we were gender specific men only, and we never marketed ourselves as gay, straight or whatever. But for the most part, the, 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 the residents that showed up while, especially while we were sober living were gay men. And then it, that continued to happen even after we opened as a treatment program. Um, and it was really one of my therapists who said to me, you know, here's the deal. Why don't you just focus on this population? Which and is I, the LG LGBTQ population. population. And at population. first I was, you know, my own internalized homophobia, my business internalized homophobia was like, Ooh, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to pigeonhole myself that right. way. Right. Because, and it was a great moment for me to really re re reflect on why was I having that reaction? And it really was a little bit about sort of what's in it for me or like, 
how would it affect my pocket and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, um, it really was a lane and a space that a lot of people in our industry really weren't doing. And so uh, I, I, I'm so happy we made that decision. I'm really excited about what we're doing. Um, and I, you know, I always want to do more. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, you, 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 you accomplish some stuff and then you're like, okay, well, I want to, I want to up the game a little right, bit. And so, level? right. And so, and so that's, you know, so I'm trying to find the balance between what we're doing in, in, in relation to looking at it from a lens of it's, it's a really good thing and that I can still look ahead a little bit but that I can't look so far ahead that I can't be here because uh, that, that's a liability for me. Yeah. Uh, and also just trying to enjoy my life and to, and to just like have a life, right? Because my work is not my life. Um, although it feels like that sometimes, but it's really trying to, <laughs> right, right. Trying to un not untangle them, but sort of allow them to sort of definitely coexist with each other, but understanding also that I have to know that, okay, I have to have many time. Yeah. I well, maybe want to work boundaries. on a relationship. Maybe yeah. I want to work on hobbies. Maybe I want to have other things because, you know, it's a 24-hour business. It's like a hotel, a hospital, and a restaurant. And um, Now, wait, but sober living and now you're a treatment center. Right. So what is the difference between those right. two? So sober living... Uh, is really where you have a group of people that are like-minded and want to be sober, right? And so they make each other accountable. They keep each other accountable. But there are no sort of, say, services like therapists and psychiatric uh, evaluations. Uh, there's no behavioral health piece to it, um, or there shouldn't be. And... A treatment program is where you are actually licensed by the state of California's Department of Healthcare Services. And there's an application process and you have to deliver policies and procedures that helps them understand exactly how you would, um, how you're going to set up this program as well as how you're going to run it. And then they come and they do a survey and they determine whether or not they're going to give you a license. And then you have to hire um a staff of people that can deliver the services that are very specific to what you want to do because not every treatment program is the same. Some programs are more mental health driven. Some programs are social model where there are no, say, psychiatric um, evaluations where it's really more about um, changing people's behavior through social modification. So do you feel like you went almost virtually back to school to learn all of this oh my God, stuff yeah. about like psyche valves and, you know? Yeah, well, I, you know, one of the things about me is I am driven by learning new information. Like that's one of the, and I don't, I, I never realized that that was one of the things that um, has helped me, right? Uh so if I don't know something and I don't know that I don't know it, it's almost better. Like I didn't, I knew nothing about treatment, but I, I thought, well, I can do this, <laughs> right? I can do this. So tell, tell us how, if folks are interested in La Fuente, how can they get in touch with you? How, okay. what's, what's the deal? What's the name of the treatment center is? Right. So the name of the treatment center is La Fuente Hollywood Treatment Center, we're located in the heart of Hollywood, and we offer a full continuum of care. And, um, and and what that really means is that we go from we offer detoxification, residential, inpatient. We have an aftercare house, and we have an intensive outpatient program as well. And do you accept all major health insurance? Well, we do. We're we're in network with Anthem Blue Cross. We're in the middle of negotiating our contracts with a few others. But yes, we, 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 we do work with most insurance companies. And uh, you can always call us at 323-464-2947. Awesome. And ask to speak with Edwin Sanchez. At this, actually, yeah, Edwin Sanchez. He's the best guy to talk to. 
Manny. Yes. That's so wonderful. Oh, thank you. To talk to you. I mean, for me, it's, um, you know, almost, uh, again, I don't know why I keep getting emotional oh. over Manny. I don't, I don't understand, but I mean, I guess I do understand. I guess the, the first time that I met you, you know, you were this person, you know, that had such light, you know, and that. I saw myself, you know, driving towards this, whatever you had, right. you know, I was always, uh, you know, drawn to that vibration, right. you know, so whether it was at the Fields Ball or right. for 80s Chakong, right. and then, you know, out here when you guys were doing Temple, you know, you always had this vibration that I was always drawn to and uh, drew inspiration from you know because you know you were that po- I mean you were literally the poster boy for Bala Hispanico <laughs> and I went to Bala Hispanico so in a sense I'm always grateful to you that you blazed this you know trail for me to follow you know and you know when I got so you know when I got sober because I'm now 15 years sober it's amazing yes I you know you were the first person to really be encouraging and then you know you had me give you that cake at, when you were 11 yeah. at Jimmy's house that's at the pool that's right that's right and you know those are things that I'll never yeah just forget about you and you know it's just you've been this you know this oh, inspiration to me you. this vibration that I gravitate towards and I'm grateful to just oh even God, know thank you. you thank you you're gonna make me cry okay? so you better <laughs> stop right now and so, we live in the same building. Like, that, <laughs> that, like, who knew that, right? Who knew that at the House of Fields Ball that we'd be living in the same building 15, what, 20 I mean, years I'm t- later? I'm telling you, you our birth. paths, you know, continue to align, you know. It's the reason why I love doing this podcast with Kim, you know, with Kim. And, hey. you know, our our paths are, you know, are drawn really, really close yeah. to each other, you yeah. know. And so... This transcends, you know, friendship, you know, it transcends family, but it also is important because what you're doing today is important and it needs a voice, you know, it needs to be said, it needs to be celebrated because dancer, marketing guy, and now this person who is helping, I mean, you're helping literally hundreds of displaced people who live on the fringe who are battling addiction and their lives and who they are as a person, you know, and where do they fit in this world? You are facilitating that for countless of kids. And, you know, (laughs) that's, I mean, that's awesome for lack of a better term. It's awesome. So thank you you so much for coming to, you know, here and speaking with us and, you know, just being that light for other people. Well, thank you. Thank you for now, allowing me to be here. Yes. Well, now it's time for, before I really start to cry. Okay, now it's our time for our work of the week. A what? Our work of the week. Okay, Tell them, Kim. We do a little work of the week. Can okay. We, can okay, we, what's the work of the week? Work of the week is, you know, just something that we shout out. Anything. Fabulous meal you had, a, sh- a movie you saw, something just that stood out oh, this week. that was the work of the week. You know. Yes. You, talk, you talked about that freshwater pool at Equinox. Oh, my Bill. God. Okay, so. Okay. I know I'm going to leave here, and I'm, you know, of course, I wanted to say something more deep. But, yeah, the work of the week was definitely the pool at Equinox, Hollywood Equinox, freshwater pool, and I swam for the first time. Uh, not the first time, but I swam like 15 minutes the other day, and then I swam 10 minutes today, which is really good because I don't know. It's just you know, I mean, my bones are just you know they're they're not the same bones they used to be. So that's the work of the week because now now I'm like okay, I discovered the pool again, rejuvenated, yes. rejuvenated. Okay, you guys, my work of the week is. Of course, food. Manny and I, like when Manny moved here from L.A., we were, I mean, you want Peruvian? You want a chocolate chip cookie? I'm going to take you where to get it. Y'all fight me, for real. You can you can email us. You have a better chocolate chip cookie. You know about that. I want to hear from you. But Trails Cafe, 
I hate that it's going to be crowded now because it's already like a whole thing. But <laughs> the Trails Cafe, Griffith Park, you can I get your walk on. That was the That's you the were cooking. Really? Oh, listen, we have tried many other cookies because they get the saltiness. They get the crunchy outer, you know, cooie experience. And then that gooey, ooey in the inside. And they will warm it up for you. So awesome. right at Ferndale. Griffith Park, you know, the Ferndale entrance. That's my work. That's my work of the week. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So my work of the week uh, this week, uh, I want to shout out Disney Animation. I do a lot of events at Disney Animation, so I'm there quite often. So I really love that they were really into you know, their LGBTQ support with the stickers and, you know, the music. And um, so I want to shout out Disney Animation. That's work. my work of the week. Work. work. Well, thank you, guys. This has been awesome. Thank, thank you, you, Manny. Thank you. Thank you, Manny. I'm glad. It's my pleasure. Don't forget to subscribe. And you can follow us on Instagram at Work Podcast. That's W-E-R-Q-U-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. You can also follow me at workdanceclass.com This is Louis Extravaganza and Kim Blackwell and this was Work, Work the Podcast. Bye! We'll see you later guys. Thank you. Bye.